had just finished a haircut and sat on the chair to change shoes to go up the road and all of a sudden a tingling thing, thing happened to my fingers and from there my toes started to feel a tingle and then my vision. My sons were sitting in front of me and I could see four of them. You know, there was two of them, but I could see four of them. I thought I was talking to them, but I had stopped talking to them, right? My mind was still talking, but my mouth wasn't. And somehow I said to them, stroke, I said that word. Now, why I thought I was having a stroke was only through my journey in hairdressing, I had heard other people's stories on what they felt when they were having a stroke. I asked the lady to take me to the bead shop and we purchased some beads. Well, that was like nine months ago and I am continuing to make jewellery at the moment. It's improved my fingers to pick up those tiny beads. I've made some beautiful stuff that I will one day put a store and also we have the Stroke Foundation here that I'm going to fundraise for. Never give up, don't give up. It's a blessing to be here, change your way of eating, smoking, drinking, we really don't need that. That's just going to add to our poor health and you know, just don't give up. <laughs>《Oh, this is Stroke Stories, and I'm Mark Goodyear. In Australia, about 100 people every day suffer a stroke, 40% of those suffering from a disability as a result of that stroke. Between 1980 and 2016, death rates for stroke have fallen by 74% in Australia. That rated decline has remained steady in people aged 75 and over, but slowed among younger age groups. It's also still difficult for survivors everywhere to find the resources they need while they recover. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we hear from former hairdresser Helen Karamidas from Sydney, Australia, who suffered a stroke at the age of 53. I've been working as a hairdresser since the age of 15. I did the job effortlessly with I felt like I wasn't working. I felt like I'd gone to playgroup every day. You know, it was easy. I'd be excited every day to get up and do hair. But I lost that now. I feel like it's died inside me. And I can't even look at hairdos or tutorials about it as I used to. I get really upset because I can't, I can't do them. I remember my stroke. I had just finished a haircut and sat on the chair to change shoes to go up the road. And all of a sudden, a tingling thing, thing happened to my fingers. And from there, my toes started to feel a tingle. And then my vision, my sons were sitting in front of me and I could see four of them, you know, there was two of them, but I could see four of them. And I said to them, like, I don't know what's going on, boys. And they're like, Mum, why are you looking at us funny? 
and then I can hear them going, talk to us, mum. And I thought I was talking to them, but I had stopped talking to them, right? My mind was still talking, but my mouth wasn't. And somehow I said to them, stroke. I said that word. Now, why I thought I was having a stroke was only through my journey in hairdressing, I had heard other people's stories on what they felt when they were having a stroke. I was not educated prior to my stroke about fast, you know, the symptoms of what to do, what to look for. I knew a very little bit. And with that cue, my sons, one called my sister and one called Triple O, right? And, and got an ambulance here for me. And my sister both arrived at the same time here. By that time, again, I thought I was talking but apparently I wasn't saying a damn word. Everything was slurred, my mouth had dropped, my eyes, and the next minute I wake up and I'm lying in my hospital bed. I didn't remember anything else, but apparently when I was in hospital, admitted, they injected me with a thrombolizing injection, which busts the clot. And that's what pretty much saved me, right? Because it was a clot in the, in the stem of the brain. It was an ischemic stroke. It's affected my left side. I couldn't move. When I opened my eyes in the bed, I thought, where am I? What's just happened? And why can't I get up? I could not get up. I couldn't move to call the nurse. I just laid there and just... Tears were running out of my eyes and I just didn't know what was going on until the nurse came around and goes, oh, you're awake. I said, yeah, what's going on? She goes, you've had a stroke. And I said, a what? And she said, a stroke now. Again, my what that came out was not very clear at all, but I felt like I was talking. It, it took a couple of weeks for my speech to clear and my mouth to go back in its place. I worked with the physios at the hospital. After that, when I could talk, it was a little bit, but I still couldn't move. I couldn't walk, I couldn't get myself on the ground, I couldn't stand. My arm was locked close to me. My hand was a fist. I couldn't open my fingers. I was devastated. I thought, I was just doing a haircut. How can this happen? You know, like, that's just like in an instant. It was my whole world changed. Luckily, Helen was able to get good treatment very quickly. They didn't need to operate. The MRI showed that the blood clot burst and that was it. I didn't need surgery because I was in hospital from when the stroke happened till they injected the uh, injection. It was an hour and a half after my stroke so I was in that three-hour time frame where they could use the injection, right? I was very lucky. The hospital's close in my area. It didn't take long to get there. My children responded quickly, and it just all happened in a good frame of time. You know, if I lived, you know, further away, and I was lucky that the hospital that I went to in our area is registered to give, they've got the nurses 
that can administer the injection where the next hospital available for that, I would not have made it in time, right? So I would have missed that three-hour time frame of getting that injection. That could have been worse maybe. Oh, I don't know. I was lucky to have them up the road. So that saved me. <laughs> I had physio daily at the hospital in the morning and then had lunch and then back again in the afternoon. Towards the last two weeks, they um, said to me, oh, you don't need to come in the afternoon. And I said to them, well, I don't want to stop doing this, but we haven't, you know, got enough room. I said to them, I know that there were spaces, different type of exercise, empty when I was here all the time. So wherever I find a spot, I'm just going to see if you need that spot, I'll move and do something else. All right. I feel that I need to keep this up. So they did allow me to continue going till I went home. I was scared, scared to come home, very scared to come home. I have two steps to get into my kitchen and for the first week I did not come down to my kitchen. I stayed from my bedroom to the bathroom and back to my bedroom. I waited for my children to come home before I came down to get anything to eat. I was too scared of falling down those stairs and sitting on the floor and waiting for them. So I just did not venture. It took me a week. Although I had handrails installed, the fear of being on my own, the place looked really small. I felt closed in compared to the open space of a hospital. It was very scary to be home. I did have them come out to me for two weeks, the physios, and then I finally got myself on a bus because I couldn't drive anymore with my vision being double. I had a prism put onto my glasses to be able to see one, but it was like looking through dirty windows with that film on my glasses. So eventually I ventured to the bus stop, caught the bus, it took me two hours to get there because I walked so slow, where normally it would take about half an hour. It took me two hours. And it continued till then. It's only recently that I've stopped going to physio and I do the physio at home. I'm walking. I'm still walking like a snail, but I'm walking. I have good balance. My arm, I can stretch it out. I can lift it up. I can steady it towards the center if I hold it onto my chest. But when I got to pick up something or reach for something, it shakes. My fingers have improved because I found something else to do. Although for the time being, Helen can't work as a hairdresser, she has found a new passion. I went up to the library to borrow some books one day about stroke. And I heard this cackle in a corner and I thought, what's going on down there? And what it was, was a craft group that a lot of ladies that come in and do handcrafts. So I thought, okay, maybe I could join this. And in that group, they were doing scrapbooking, knitting, bead making, all sorts of things. So I started first to 
finish off a scrapbook that I haven't completed for years. And I kept watching ladies with the beads and I thought, maybe I can make a bracelet, right? So I asked the lady to take me to the bead shop and we purchased some beads. Well, that was like nine months ago and I am continuing to make jewellery at the moment. It's improved my fingers to pick up those tiny beads. I've made some beautiful stuff that I will one day put a store and also we have the stroke foundation here that I'm going to fundraise for and give it back and it's it's really good it's given me what hairdressing did you know hairdressing was a new client a new color a new haircut it was a job that started and finished I had instant satisfaction you know 15 times a day where my beadwork is the same. I'm playing with colour. I start a, a pair of earrings. I bead it. I finish it. I feel good. It's just as tedious as foiling hair when you've got to take one strand of hair at a time. Is one bead at a time. So I think I was at the right place at the right time to find this group that took me to that direction. And I sit at home and do my physio for a couple of hours and then I sit for a couple of hours with my beads and I get up and do a bit more exercise and it's quite good. I've learned what to do at home. I have some of, I've got my little bike my, for my arm, I've got my weights. It's been hard. It's still hard. Like I said, I've been given a second chance in life. Financially is the most because I no longer can earn money. Although I have started to apply a colour to my sister's hair and my girlfriend's hair, but that's as far as I've succeeded. I haven't been able to put my scissors in my hand again. I was a master at it. Now I've got to learn to master something else. So my outlook in life, what I say is I don't have disabilities. I have new abilities. Helen's love for her job as a hairdresser made it even harder for her to stop. However, her new focus in beadwork has both helped her rehabilitation and also acted as a new source of income. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Helen tells us of the power of sharing her story. The photos of my story that went out to my 270 homes in Melbourne and another 250 homes in Sydney that received the leaflets, they raised nearly $100,000 out of it. And she reveals her plans for the future. I would like to be able to one day, comfortably without having medical issues, you know, with my blood pressure, with lots happening or anything and get in a plane and go on a holiday with my kids. Let's hear how Helen got involved with her local stroke support group. I asked one of the nurses at the hospital and she said yes there's a stroke group available at the club once a month. There's only eight people attending at the moment. You're welcome to join. So I started to attend that. I've been to maybe 10 months worth, right, like 10, 10 events. And it's really good because 
the hospital organized because it's through the hospital that set this up organized for different speakers sometimes on medication nutrition exercise physios what we can do they brought a woman in that discovered painting doing art that she brought paper and crayons and stuff and we all had a go it's quite good to go and listen to all this extra information and share stories between each other they've only just started the facebook page for it it's pretty good i'm glad that it exists because i look forward to going out there once a month it stops you feeling alone right and just when you think you've got the worst case of a stroke you go there and you see others much worse or much better and going for the 10 months i've seen them improve that gives me hope that I am going to improve. Otherwise, if I didn't involve myself in a group, how would I know? Am I progressing? Am I not progressing? Am I the only one that's this bad? I didn't know because in the hospital, you're put in a ward and not everyone's had a stroke in that ward. They all had different things. So this in a group, is very beneficial and you make friends you know that understand when you need a hand like I say this some of them I've got my right hand you've got your left hand well let's make this cup of coffee you know together my old friends some have stayed right but I've lost clients right which were also friends but yeah, I've lost a lot of people in my, in my life. Like I used to associate with, you know, an average of 10 clients in a day to nobody. And that's really hard, you know, having no one to talk to. Um, so stroke group is where I lash out. I chat right through. We listen to what they've got to say. And then we sit back and we, we talk and we all have a go. Every time someone new enters the group, we say our story again, right? Just so they know. We go through and introduce ourselves and say a bit of our story to the new person so they know where we're all at. And we're all different. I didn't realise there were so many different types of strokes, so many different ways to be affected. I'm blessed to have, have my speech my vision has corrected itself in one eye. I've only got it in only towards my left now. I see double. I miss not driving. I can't just go up the road and buy what I need. No more. I can't go visit a friend. I used to be a carer for my parents. I can't do that. Although they're in a nursing home, I used to go lunch times and feed them every day. And I can't do that. Now it takes a week or two before my sons can take me down there. I miss seeing my mum and dad as well. So it's just changed a lot of things in life. Helen has also worked with the Australian Stroke Foundation to spread awareness and share her story. They sent out photographers and did family photos with me and my boys. And 
used my photos and my story as a fundraiser to put out there, which I said, yes, go ahead and do that, which was really good to to have that. I've got all that memorabilia at the moment. Where they've helped is if I needed any assistance with equipment, they were to help. But I don't really need it. So I'm not going to take something that I don't really need when I can improvise in another way. But the fact that my story's gone out and that it's going to be there forever is just more special to me, that it might have helped someone else. It was really fun sitting there getting the photos done. And then I got informed at the end of the year last year that through that campaign with the photos of my story that went out to like 270 homes in Melbourne and another 250 homes in Sydney that received the leaflets, they raised nearly $100,000 out of it. Helen's got her eyes set on some important milestones. Plans for the future is to hopefully get up and dance again. One thing, I want to dance. I miss dancing. I would like to somehow get out of the little rut I am and financially become a little bit more stable, find something that I can earn my own income. And I want to travel with my boys because in my relationship with their father, we didn't travel with the kids and I haven't been on a holiday with my children. So I would like to be able to one day comfortably without having medical issues, you know, with my blood pressure, with clots happening or anything and get in a plane and go on a holiday with my kids. And finally, Helen thinks the key to recovery is perseverance. The advice to another stroke survivor is to never give up, don't give up. It's a blessing to be here. Change your way of eating, smoking, drinking. We really don't need that. That's just going to add to our poor health. And, you know, just don't give up. (laughs) The loved one, just be patient with them. Try to understand that they change. They're not the same person as before. There's certain issues that, difficult for them to even express sometimes. So as a carer, step back a little bit, try to understand, you know, if they've repeated themselves or forgotten something, don't say, but I told you so. Just go, okay, yeah, and just repeat the same thing again. It's like someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, like my parents have, we repeat ourselves a hundred times the same thing. And that's what someone with a stroke needs. Helen's stroke stopped her working in the job she was passionate about, but with the support of her three sons and a number of community projects and charities, she's discovered a new creative outlet. If you'd like to learn more about stroke, search for the Stroke Association online and for a dedicated web page, search NHS Stroke. And please remember to subscribe to the Stroke Stories podcast on iTunes. It would be great if you could rate and comment on the episodes, because that'll help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.